You're listening to Who Needs Sleep, a podcast for parents. Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us today. I am Valerie Lawrence, and with me, as always, is... Dr. Philip McAllis. Hello, everybody. Hi, Phil. So, today, we are actually going to do one of our mini-episodes, and we are going to answer a question that one of our lawyer listeners who has sent in a question for us to Mm -hmm. answer. Everybody's been too shy so far to call in a question but you all are welcome to. <laughs> but, um, but in this case, I'm going to, uh, should I just go ahead and read the email? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and read it? All right. So this message comes to us from Bruce over in Colorado. And uh, he says, hey, Phil and Val, first off, I really want to meet Val at some point. She seems super awesome. Oh, this is why you want that kept in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, I'm from Madison slash Milwaukee, so yay Midwest, which actually means that all of us have a Midwest connection because I'm also from Michigan. And then, uh, well, yes, you are. We'll have another Midwest connection in a moment. Okay, back to the question. <laughs> I'm going to send you all of my questions as I think of them. So there's probably going to be a whole lot of them. That's not what he wrote, but I'm going to say a whole lot of them because this is about <laughs> um, So this is the first part of his first question. Let's talk antigens and immunogenicity. Is it preferred slash beneficial to use baby laundry detergent from the start or only if they have sensitive skin? Also, does using hypoallergenic everything increase the prevalence of sensitivities later in life? How is their GI tract colonized? I've heard that it can be beneficial to put a spoon in my mouth, then directly into theirs. Uh, And if you're Phil, maybe it goes back into his, which (laughs) yes, it does. Um, (laughs) Oh. (laughs) uh, But I've also heard that you want to limit their exposure to too much early on. Too clean all the time is a problem, but too much too fast is also a problem. So where's the balance? Like my dad used to say, let them eat some dirt. Uh, when is it typically safe to do that? Uh, those are my initial thoughts. I'm sure there's much more to elaborate on in that area. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Cheers, Bruce. So thank you very much, Bruce, for oh, your question. Thank you very much, Bruce, from Milwaukee, correct? Yes. Is that what he said, Milwaukee? Yes, as he oh, said, okay. Milwaukee. Sweet. And Bruce, I would love to meet you as well, because anyone who has a question that in-depth, yeah, that's a big, I would like to shake your hand. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big question. Post-COVID, it'll give you a nice big handshake. That's a fantastic question. <laughs> yeah. So... Hmm. Yes, we have a treat for you today. We Mm -hmm. had to phone a friend with this question. And so we actually have a board certified allergy and immunology uh, physician with us today. Mm -hmm. So she completed her training in internal medicine and pediatrics with a fellowship in allergy and immunology at Albany Medical Center. And she's currently working in private practice in Minnesota. I was like, pronounce Adina? Adina. I was like, Minnesota. Adina. Adina. (laughs) She did. She totally did. And I just, I skipped right over it. So thank you, Dr. Britta, for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. We really appreciate you. Yeah. We are your your first guest (laughs) ever. Oh, I feel honored. (laughs) You can't even tell. You feel honored. Yes, and as our first guest, you will be receiving a gift in the mail. Is that right? Yes. What is it? It will be... Is it an NPR handbag? (laughs) (laughs) Even better, even better. It is a family-sized jar of Equate Petroleum (laughs) Jelly. 
I love petroleum jelly. That's actually a perfect gift. I love it. Oh, yes, because we we are firm believers in petroleum jelly for everything mm-hmm. when it comes to your child. So we, we congratulations. We're trying to get <laughs> it's basically like the Windex right. for yeah. babies. It is. It is. <laughs> oh, oh perfect. So, Dr. Britta, if you don't mind helping us out with this question. So, I don't know if Phil, if you could actually reread parts yeah. of it, yeah. <laughs> if you don't this mind. Is a, this is a big one. We really appreciate you coming yes. on because I started typing up answers to these questions and it was like a paragraph of just a stream of consciousness. <laughs> like It was not clear. <laughs> so we appreciate you coming on. So we'll go through the, the very first part of Bruce's questions about antigens and immunogenicity. He said, is it preferred slash beneficial to use baby laundry detergent from the start or only if they have sensitive skin? Well, I, you know, I, I don't, that doesn't have a whole lot to do with antigens or immunogenicity, but I think it kind of has to do with the skin barrier and, and keeping it intact and protecting it as much as we can. So I would preferentially recommend for people to use uh, sensitive detergents um, or fragrance free detergents, mm-hmm. scent free, gentle detergents in young kids. You know, if detergents are fragranced, they can really irritate the skin mm-hmm. and that can predispose kids to developing more eczema or dry, itchy skin, which can later on cause some more issues. Okay. So I think it's worth. Um, mm-hmm from the beginning, kind of going down that route. And so also with um, kind of going down that route, since, you know, you're going to be holding the child a lot, like up against, you know, whatever clothing you're on, would you recommend basically that they just kind of switch to sensitive detergents just for everybody's clothes or just for the baby stuff? I think that's probably logistically the easiest thing to do if you're doing a lot of laundry and throwing Mm -hmm. it all in. And I think that that definitely is worth doing for, especially if you have lots of kids or doing a lot of laundry. (laughs) You know, for let's say kids who have eczema or they're very sensitive to scents, they're definitely, they definitely can pick up on that if a parent is wearing it or if you wash their blankets or towels in those things. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be easiest to just mm-hmm. use a free and clear, fragrance free, gentle detergent. Um, and I don't, I don't have a preference okay. for, I don't usually have a specific one. What, you know, nowadays, it's funny, I had somebody come in to see me who's in her 60s and was saying when she was younger, they, there was only one brand of, you know, <laughs> scent-free, dye-free detergent. And it was like the only <laughs> one you could get 40 years ago. And now you, in every brand of detergent. <laughs> You can find a free and clear version, yeah. basically. Yeah. So we're, we're lucky. Okay. We live in a very free and clear world, right? We do. We do. Right. <laughs> you can get gluten-free wheat at this point, and it's just it's like, yes. you know, exactly. so you mentioned fragrance-free. So my daughter is one of those kids who had a bunch of eczema, and so we were doing mm-hmm everything. And our uh, dermatologist had mentioned that there's a difference actually between unscented and fragrance-free and apparently also hypoallergenic. I think a lot of people don't really know the difference between all of those. And I will count myself among those people. I mean, uh, um, Mm -hmm. from the dermatologist standpoint, they had said 
that using fragrance free was better than something that is unscented because I could still have fragrances. Is that correct? Am I understanding that incorrectly? No, no, Phil, that's actually right. So fragrance free means there are no fragrances, but unscented means that it may be scented. But then it's unscented. Uh. <laughs> does, that make, does that make sense? <laughs> does it kind of? Well, so like unscented means that it probably has fragrances. Right. But then it yeah. also has fragrances to mask the scent. Yes. So so unscented <laughs> might have more yeah. scents yeah. than fragrance free. <laughs> yeah. It can ha- yes. Yeah. You are. There are varying levels of it, but. Fragrance-free is, I think, probably the best thing okay. to look for in, in sensitive skin. You're right with that because it, it really sort of is devoid of a lot of those, the the scents, even if it's just to make the, the product mm-hmm. smell sort of clean. I, mm. I mean, have you ever okay. used Dreft detergent? Oh, <laughs> just, I know don't like, get me started on Dreft. I have it. I have not. Oh. I know a lot of... <laughs> parents newborns and young babies do or i don't know what i mean yes so britta i think smells fantastic it smells like a baby should smell is that proper grammar uh i think it smells amazing but it is the worst soap it doesn't clean anything everything smells like something i i thought it was gonna be this gentle you know no fragrance and i open it up and it's just like this wave of scent like washed over me yes it it was hypoallergenic and i yeah yeah so i i couldn't use it with with my daughter she she sped up all the time so i would say for the first four months of her life there's only three of us. We did a load of laundry literally every single day. So, That's crazy. Yeah. And if we use Dreft, it, our entire house. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, well, thank Well, that's a perfect answer to that, that part of the question. Closing it up. <laughs> so, um, Philip, the next part yes. of the question. Sure. If you don't okay. mind reading that again. Yeah. So this part is, uh, does using hypoallergenic everything increase the prevalence of sensitivities later in life? Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. yeah so um, hypoallergenic, and that can mean for a lot of things. So we talked about detergents and we talk about, you know, personal care products being sort of hypoallergenic and, and, and so for things like that, kind of things that come into contact with your skin, that is, tends to be a little bit different of a reaction. So when we think of contact reactions to the thing to the skin, the most common thing is a nickel allergy, but you can also mm. react to, you know, personal care products or cleansing products. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you see that label on on cleaners, that's sort of what they're referring to as things that are are not common to cause a contact reaction. So mm-hmm. I, but you know, in terms of, of hypoallergenic allergenic everything and if this increases the prevalence of sensitivities later in life and maybe more so sensitivities to allergens like outdoor allergens like pollen allergens or animal Mm. allergens Mm. or fruit allergens there really isn't you know i think a while back in the 80s there was this sort of theory that came up called the hygiene hypothesis. And it's really interesting. And sort of the thought was, was that living in a clean environment has shifted us 
to a more allergenic state because our bodies and the cells in our bodies that, you know, historically had fought off parasitic infections and all sorts of infections now um, had nothing to do. And by living in these clean environments, we were sort of creating allergies. And that's sort of been expanded on more recently. And I I think one of the things that has really taken off is this concept of the the microbiome and microbial diversity in our bodies, in our GI tract, in our skin, in our airways, and what sort of impact that has later on in life. And so what has sort of been shown more recently even is that having a diverse Um, microbiome really helps prevent allergenic diseases or Mm -hmm. sensitivities later in life, which is really fascinating to think that Mm -hmm. certain exposures to things can promote that or take that away. And so there have been certain um, things that seem to promote diversity, and those Mm -hmm. include mode of delivery. So uh, vaginal versus C-section, vaginal, you're going to get more exposure to, to things coming out of the birth canal to more microbes. Um, being breastfed versus being bottle fed, Mm -hmm. early pet exposure, household size, your diet, Mm -hmm. um, and and antimicrobial exposure. So, you know, having a lot of antibiotics or eating foods with a lot of antibiotics in them. So all of those things can sort of alter Uh your microbiome and, and maybe shift it in one direction or the other. And it's not just one thing. It's, it's sort of this, whole picture and multiple um, factors involved in that. That is fascinating, like really fascinating. So basically, the question was about hypoallergenic things, but it sounds like it really has more to do with like having a diversity of sense is not important so much as having a diversity of exposure to bacteria and and other things that are other otherwise allerg- allergenic i guess is that right yeah yeah, yeah. i mean th- this is what i i mean I, I thought i had heard something that uh or i'd read something that uh, people who grow up on farms tend mm-hmm. to have less allergies and so therefore we have nine chickens at my house so. <laughs> Great. I, yeah, I think that's part of it. Yeah, you're exactly right. So they've there's been studies that have looked at farming communities in Poland, mm. and they have very you know very low rates of asthma and environmental allergies and food allergies, and they've looked at their sort of microbiome in their stool, and it's different from people who grew up in New oh, York wow. City. Um, so completely different. <laughs> so, cool. so it's sort of, yeah, it's really interesting. And I think it's because they have exposures to different bacteria, endotoxins, viruses that sort of change their immune system even. Um, so things that you you wouldn't necessarily think of are really having an impact. So chickens are are great, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know it's not the only thing. You know, I think people I have just sort of I think frustrating, but I'll have parents sometimes who say, "Well, you know, I breastfed, and mm-hmm. I thought that that was going to be protective, but they still have allergies." And and I get it. You know, it, that's not the only thing, but mm-hmm. it can certainly help. Yeah. Um, 
I guess that kind of goes into the next question, which was about how how is the GI tract colonized? Sounds like the same kind of yes. yeah. Good segue, yeah. So, you know, as I sort of mentioned, modes of delivery, and so you know, if you have a, a child that's born vaginally, they're coming out, they're getting all sorts of bacteria and microbes that they're being introduced as they come through the birth canal, and so that's going to establish that initial colony of bacteria mm-hmm. in their GI tract, and then as they're Eating. So if you're breastfed, you have exposures to bacteria on mom's skin versus bottle fed, it's, it's different exposures. And then as kids, you know, pick things up and put them in their mouth, they're getting exposure that way. Mm-hmm. Being exposed to older siblings who are bringing things in to the household, pets <laughs> that change the colonization of the GI tract. And then as kids start eating solids, the types of foods that they're eating can also impact that. And so, you know, having Western diets seems to be associated with a a less diverse microbiome or GI tract than eating a sort of more Eastern or plant-based diet. That's interesting. Is there anything that you recommend people do just in general? I I guess you you mentioned plant-based. Is there anything in particular that you recommend that people do to increase their diversity of their diet? Well, I think it's hard when you're you're trying to get a kid to eat things because Mm -hmm. a lot of times they won't eat what you want them to. I'm, you know, not necessarily saying everybody has to be vegan and only eat mm-hmm. plants, but I think you want to have a wide variety of plants to introduce that early on so kids have exposure to it and hopefully find ones that they like to eat and you can get them to eat on a regular basis. But I, I don't think that there's any one food or one recommendation of food to it. I think it's just trying to have a really diverse diet, introduce your kids to a lot of different things so they can find things that mm-hmm. they like and that are healthy for them to eat from a young mm-hmm. age. That makes sense. Just kind of having a variety of options, like starting off really early. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, the other day we were doing uh, oatmeal for breakfast and um, we usually put blueberries in it almost every single day of my daughter's life. But this day she wanted uh, peas in it. And I was like, all right, great. That's something different. That's something different. But, um, Did she like it? It's more of yeah, a savory oatmeal. For a brief, she liked it as long as she likes anything for a brief moment. But I guess I, in the future, maybe I could like yeah. offer some kimchi or something like that, and maybe that would help with her. With her in the oatmeal. Oh, I don't, yeah, that that would be that's strong. <laughs> we'll see how. I'll let oh, you know. that's funny. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's good. I mean, let them eat, you know, different things, variety, um, vegetables, fruits, I think is really important. But I also know (laughs) that sometimes kids don't want to eat what you put in front of them. That is true. true. My child is now at the stage that everything that he eats has to hit the floor first. (laughs) He has to throw it on the floor and then he'll pick it up and eat it. So all those microbes on the floor. (laughs) In that case. He's trying to increase oh, your man. gut microbiome diversity. <laughs> when he like shoves his hands in your mouth and stuff. That's what oh, man. And of course, if it's something, you know, slippery that he can't pick up off the floor after he throws on the floor, he gets down and tries to lick it off the floor. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I just stand there and say, that's my son. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha 
That is my son. Look at him problem solving. Just problem solving. <laughs> so. Very efficient way to eat food off the floor. Just go right to it. Right? Use the floor. Cut out the middleman. Plate. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Oh, man. I'm so glad you're you're here, Britta, to help us navigate this question. I love it. I see that. That goes right <laughs> oh, nicely man. into the next question as well, which was, uh, which he said he, he's heard that it's that it can be beneficial to put a spoon in his mouth and then directly back into the kids. So, yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Because I've heard the same thing about pacifiers and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think that this is, you know, I, I don't see any problems with with doing that, you know, putting the spoon in your mouth and their mouth. I mean, obviously there's circumstances where you don't want to do things like that. If, you know, (laughs) dirty or if you have an active cold sore, you know, those are things that you Mm. probably don't want to do. But I I think it's the same sort of concept. You're sort of introducing, you know, some, some diversity from your oral flora or your oral microbiome. And, and similarly, you know, I think pacifiers and food falling on the floor. I, I think that that's, if you, you know, put it in your mouth and put it back in the kid's mouth real quickly, I th- I don't think that that's problematic. I don't know, you know, I think they've done some studies looking at if that's beneficial and it does seem that it can increase, you know, again, that diversity in the GI tract, but there's not any like big studies looking at that. But okay. yeah, I, I don't see any, yeah. any problems with that. I think one of the concerns is, you know, if kids have something like an immunodeficiency um, or their immune system can't fight mm-hmm. off things, you want to be careful with what you're exposing your kids do. And, th- and that yeah. in most cases is generally picked up within the first several months of life. Mm-hmm. But that would be one sort of instance where you'd want to be really careful with exposure to germs and bacteria. Yeah, Sounds. it does. And that will be a whole nother episode. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure we'll have you back for another episode. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yes, of course. Anytime. If she wants to come back after this. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. I know. <laughs> well, if I get another equate jar of um, Vaseline in that, I'm, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Oh, Dr. Britta, you are great. I think so. Bruce, let us know if we, is there more in the question? Oh, sorry. I did that. There's one last little bit, which is a big little bit, which is, um, so um, I've heard that you want to limit their exposure to too much early on and then, but too much too fast is also a problem. So he was looking for, is there a time that it's okay to make things more dirty. I think uh, one of the things that he was thinking about here was that they make things to sterilize bottles versus you know, when can things be more dirty? Is there is there a, is there a time for that? Well, I I think that that's challenging. I think you know kids are starting to put things in their mouths around well early on, but you're starting to really mm-hmm. give them foods and things around four to six months, mm-hmm. and I. I I don't think there's any great recommendations on when what is too much, what is too little, as Mm -hmm. we sort of went over earlier, kind of exposing them to different situations, maybe not, you know, um, electing to have, you know, push antibiotics for colds that can that can sort of help Mm -hmm. things. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of that. It's hard to break that that question apart, really, and say Mm -hmm. what is, you know, what, what should you do? What is too much? What is too too little. I mm-hmm. think that for young kids, you know, obviously you don't want them to like 
be, you know, sitting in a dirt pit when they're really young. Um, but, I, you know, I think, like, yeah, it's fine if they sit on the floor and eat, you know, like your son eats some food off the floor and he's fine and, it, you know, it's, it's not, um, you know. So, yeah, I think that, that's a tough one. I, I really – I don't know what the, the best advice for, you know, what's being too clean all the time versus, wow. you know, exposing – but I think, you know, like we said, just kind of have a variety of exposure exposures to things variety mm-hmm. of foods once they start eating if you can <laughs> you know i i just want to say dr britta i want to know where i can find one of these dirt pits i've heard of a sand oh, pit, a dirt pit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you may not have them in hawaii i <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all this beautiful lush it's sand. Sand, sand pits. There's just piles of, of dirt and you don't really have any sand, you know, you just you know, clean the dirt. Clean the mud. Yeah. I, I think the like the the equivalent here for like an infant sized dirt pit would be like a raised garden bed. <laughs> like a dirt driveway, you know, kids like go a lot in like the dirt. Oh dirt yeah, driveways. We have a lot of those in the northeast, or in the country. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man! So somewhere in between. So basically, it sounds like that babies are going to be exposed to a bunch of things every day, no matter what, Mm -hmm. and uh, just not having to go out of your way to make sure that everything is extra special clean, you know, as long as things aren't, there's nothing big that you have to worry about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and it seems like you said, like when your kid's sitting up on the floor, crawling on the floor, they're going to kind of naturally expose themselves mm-hmm. to more things as they develop. You know, like my kid eating stuff off the floor, you know, that's fun for him. <laughs> you know, this week, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how he feels next week. Just kind of allow the kid yeah. to kind of get exposed naturally and just don't try to overdo it. Don't really. try to overdo it, but don't try to wipe everything down as soon as they touch it and, you know, with the cleaning wipes I think you know you can kind of let your kid be dirty a little bit too and get you know I think that oftentimes after people have a baby they suddenly realize within a month or two that nothing in their house will ever be clean ever again oh <laughs> my goodness it is so true ever. so you know maybe yeah. you won't have to worry about that <laughs> It is so true. I really thought, oh, you know, I have all these containers. I'm going to keep everything. The baby's still going to stay here. No, there is. It looks like a hurricane and then a tornado and then an earthquake all happened in my house all at once. And it and it looks like we were trying to pack to get out of here when the hurricane came. And it just didn't, just didn't work. So there's just stuff everywhere. Oh. <laughs> Um, and what Dr. Frank was just saying is that's good for us. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's my takeaway. Oh, yeah. man. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Britta. Yeah. Um, You're welcome. This was wonderful. Really appreciate you helping with this question. Um, Bruce, yeah. let us know. Let us know if there's anything else we didn't cover or if you just have another question, go ahead and either uh, shoot us a voicemail or an email. Mm-hmm. And or the stuff we talked about today. Yeah, absolutely. But I definitely think we will have Dr. Britta back very soon. Thank you very much again. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Bruce, for your question, too.
Oh, great. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, Philip. Well, Val. Wasn't that fantastic? Yeah, it was. Thank you, Dr. Sunquist. Yes. Thank you, Britta. And thank you, Bruce, <laughs> for sending your question and giving us an excuse to invite Britta on the show. Mm-hmm. I really, mm-hmm. really, really want to have her back. Yeah, I know. I know you probably have some some questions of your own to ask. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes, you know I do, Philip. Mm. But... What do you think we should close this episode up for now? Yeah, that is an excellent idea. So thanks again, everybody, for listening. Yes, yes, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, please be sure to tell your friends about it. If you have any questions for us to tackle, you can call 313-364-YAWN. <laughs> That's 313-364-9296. Mm-hmm. Or you can email us at twotireddocs at gmail.com or leave us a message on the contact page of our website. Again, twotireddocs.com. So many wonderful options there, Val. Absolutely. Take care. <laughs> yep. Bye, everybody. <laughs> mm. I'm on my third cup of coffee today. That's it. That's the one. <laughs> leave that one.